Good morning. Thank you for uh, being with us today. We will be uh, not in Genesis today. We're going to be uh, in Psalm 139. So if you would open your Bibles to Psalm 139. Thank you. Now I can see where Psalm 139 is in my Bible. I brought my glasses. We'll see if I need to use them. Before we read from our passage today, I wanted to say thank you to the elders for allowing me some much-needed rest and opportunity to be ministered to and to sit under the teaching of God's Word. You know, we live in a day and age where you can dial up any preacher you want, and there's no preachers that I want to hear more than ours here at Parkside to minister to me. They know me. We know you. We know one another, and uh, it, it's a blessing. And so I want to say thank you to, uh, to Woody and uh, to Stephen and to let you know also that tonight we will be having our evening service at 6 o'clock, and Chris will be preaching. So uh, you can come and uh, hear the word proclaimed there. You can sing with us in that time as well. So I am grateful, and I'm grateful also to be back. We are in Psalm 139, and I want to read to us from the middle of that psalm. Verses 13 through 16. This is the Word of God. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Let's pray. Father, as we turn to your word this morning, we confess that we need to hear from you. As was mentioned earlier, we can fumble around in the dark sometimes and seek how we might know you or how we might have a spiritual experience or how we might understand the world or our own lives. And you have given us your word, which tells us those things, tells us how we can know you, tells us what true spirituality is, tells us who you are and who we are and, and what is the problem in this world and how we can know you, tells us how we are to live in light of knowing you. And so, with all the things we have faced this week, with all of the news that we have read perhaps about things around the world and all of the life experiences that we've seen, challenges that we've faced and trouble we've gone through. We confess that we need your word to speak to us. Father, we confess also that we as a nation need to hear your word proclaimed, need to understand 
what you would say to us from your word as we look at uh, what Chris called the scourge, and it really is, of our nation. Forty-nine, fifty years of rampant abortion, of millions of lives lost and, and millions of other lives ruined. Father, we need to hear from your word, and so I pray today that you would speak to us from your word, that you by your spirit would minister in our hearts, wherever we have been this week. May we be right here, right now. And so we ask that you would minister to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So you've got an outline in your bulletin there. I would encourage you to uh, look at that and use that. We are going to uh, work our way through that. And um, the, uh, I mentioned in our Sunday school class today the Catechism for Boys and Girls. And um, I go through that with our little ones. We work through that. And, and the first question, boys and girls, who have gone through that catechism is, who made you? Boys and girls, who made you? You can answer. God made me. That's a win right there. I like it. The answer, of course, is God made me. God made me. And that's the title of our message today. As we um, observe uh, Sanctity of Life uh, Sunday this week, we want to talk a little bit about uh, where we came from, who we are, who made us. And of course, Genesis tells the story of beginnings, and we've been working through Genesis for uh, low this year. And we have talked a lot about the beginnings of mankind, and then, and then more have gone into the beginnings of God's dealings with, uh, with His people, uh, the nation of Israel. And, and uh, we've talked about uh, these individuals who, who were to become nations of peoples. And yet, as we've looked at that, and as we continue to look in Genesis, we will see that Genesis tells the story of couples who are been, have been, been given the promise to, that they will become nations, and yet they struggle to have a child. They struggle even to get pregnant. And so, Abraham and Sarah, we've been dealing with that and the struggle that they've gone through, and we have seen the temptations they face as a result of that. And decisions they made, etc., but they struggled to have a child. They've been given a promise that they will become nations, and they can't have a baby. And of course, once they finally do have a baby together, Isaac, well, Isaac gets married, and then what do you know? He and Rebecca struggle, struggle to have children. Here the promise looms. The, the promise is there that they will become nations of peoples, and they struggle to have a baby. And you come to Jacob, and of course Jacob ends up with his four wives, and it seems like having babies is a competition between his four wives as they compete with one another, as they belittle one another, as they rejoice over one another. And and, uh, particularly, we saw that Rachel struggled to bear children. These people who've been given this promise struggled to bear children. And one thing we pick up from that, one thing we learn is that the conception of a child is not simply a biological product of a sexual union. It's not that simple. One thing that Scripture teaches us that we learn again and again in 
uh, Genesis and all throughout Scripture is that God is the one who made the womb. And God is the one who blesses the womb with life at the conception of a baby. God really did make us. And when we think of God making us, uh, probably the first thing that pops into mind is, has something to do with our physical uh, structure, our body. And there's, uh, there's a lot to wonder at in God's uh, creation of our physical body. And, but it's interesting that in our psalm, Psalm 139, that's not where he begins. David is writing here, and if we were to go through the rest of the psalm, he's, he's encouraging and challenging people that, that God knows you perfectly, that there is nowhere you can go to run from Him, that if you were to go to the farthest place you could imagine, He would be there. If you would go to the most secret place that you could imagine, He would be there. You can't get away from God. Which, of course, if you're running in sin and you're seeking to abandon God or, or you want to hide from Him, that's a challenge because there is nowhere you can go. So don't even try. But also, if you're maybe facing difficulty in life and you, uh, you feel like maybe you haven't gone great distances, you're not, you haven't hidden in, in, a, in a secret cave somewhere or something like that yet in your life because of the trouble that you've gone through, you may feel like that. That... Uh, you wonder if God can reach you where you are. And David is saying, God can reach you where you are. He's already there, actually. And so he's writing about this, is David, uh, contemplating this in one aspect of the reason that God is already there and how he knows us so well is that he made us. So we might expect that David would uh, talk to begin with about our physical structure uh, and that's amazing and wonderful, but interestingly, that's not where he starts. He starts with the fact that God made my non-physical parts. That's where he begins. We see that in verse, verse 13, you formed my inward parts. Now, that's a little bit of a misleading translation. It gives the idea that, you know, like God formed our guts, <laughs> Right? God formed our capillaries and the, and the, and the inner, you know, the, the, the parts of the brain that no one ever sees. And, but that's not what's ta- being talked about. The word is kidneys, right? which is you know, another inward part. But really, kidneys in uh, the Psalms particular and in the Jewish mindset, uh, in the Hebrew mindset, the kidneys have to do with the immaterial part of us. It has to do with our moral capacity, our moral reasoning. It's the immaterial part of us, not just, the, not just some, some organ that's inside of us. It's the immaterial. It has to do with our, our, our character. It has to do with the way we reason, the way we think morally, the way we arrive at decisions. It's closely related to the idea of conscience, our conscience. And so he says here, you formed my inward parts, you formed my conscience, you formed my moral reasoning, the, the, the seat of who I am and my character, which of course is not located in a, in a geographical location or in a, in a biological location. He says, you formed my inward parts, you formed the inner me that makes me. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Isn't that an interesting image? Knitting. That's a very personal thing. 
That's not a large-scale construction, you know, that you put this piece there and you, you know, he did, he's not saying he engineered you, though he did engineer you. That's kind of cold and impersonal, isn't it? He says that he knit you together. That's like, that's a close, intimate involvement. That's, that's God's involvement in our crea- the creation of us, informing us and knitting us together. He didn't just engineer us. He didn't just conceive of the notion of us and then execute some plan. No, there's, a, there's an intimate involvement in our creation. And he starts off here not talking about the physical part of us, but the immaterial part of us. You see, man is not just a, a, a material being. I think much of our uh, world, much of our history, at least recent history, has kind of had the notion that we are, we are material beings only. And you can explain everything that we think by, you know, neurological functions and firings of synapses in the brain or some chemical reaction or whatever. It's, it's, a, it's a very cold and material understanding of us. And David says that's not us. Right off the bat, he starts talking about the immaterial aspects of us, our moral nature. We have a soul. We have a moral side to us. And if we think about that, and we think about David's reasoning here, and we, we put that fact before us, it, it helps us to understand that we're, we're a unique creation. We have a unique capacity. We're not just, not just a bundle of instincts who respond to this stimulus or that stimulus and do these things or that thing. There's, there's something much deeper about us. We, we are contrasted with the rest of creation. We're, we have conscious thought. We have abstract thought. We have the ability to reason morally. We have a conscience where the things that we do, even if they don't get us in trouble, they get us in trouble with our conscience. This is, I think, very closely related to the fact that we were uh, created in God's image. We're created with the capacity to know God and to relate to God in a way that your beagle doesn't have, in a way that no other creation has. Even the angels in God's presence, though they are holy and though they, 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 are, they are in the glorious realm, etc., don't have the capacity to relate to God, to God the way we do. We are a unique and we are a special uh, creation. We make decisions based upon reason and, and moral criteria. We don't, we don't just observe the world around us. Your dog and your cat observe the world around them. The birds and, and everything else observe the world around them. We also interpret it. We interpret what it means. Not just what it means for me, am I going to get to eat or not eat, but it, 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 we interpret the world around us in, in, in terms of good or bad or indifferent. We, we interpret the meaning of all things. We interpret how we ought to respond to those things. And you can see this if you have uh, small children. You, you know, the baby is born and cutest thing in the world and, and you want to hold the baby and you want the baby to sleep occasionally. doesn't happen always. <laughs> Sometimes you miss a few months of sleep, and, and that happens. But even during that time, it's a joy to watch this baby. But what are you really looking for as a parent? You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's wonderful to snuggle the child. It's wonderful to, you know, the baby's sleeping or, or making eye contact. All the, things, the wonderful things that, that, that babies do. And yet as a parent, you're still kind of waiting. 
And, and for me, I remember uh, kind of being surprised by this, waiting for my children to begin to make decisions. Right? That you're waiting to see what the child wants to do. Of course, a little baby, when a baby's hungry, baby cries, and you can, you know, you, you see those kind of automatic kind of connections there. But when a, when a child starts walking, you can see what the child chooses to do. When a child starts talking, you wait so long for that child to start talking, and then one of the first words out of their mouth is no. And you think, man, I didn't think it through. And then they never stop talking, right? And, but what are you waiting for as a parent? You're, you're waiting to observe that thing. Of course, the, the, the baby is precious from, from the earliest moments, and, 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 and not to diminish that at all, but you're waiting to see the baby make decisions, begin to reason morally, begin to, 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 to indicate what they're like and what they would like from the way they talk and the things that they do. It's wonderful. And, of course, that's when discipline begins and training and the whole, the whole thing. But it's just wonderful that you're looking for that in babies, and, and, and we do that. Because, as David says here, we are created by God. He created our inward parts. There's, there's the immaterial aspect of us, and it's wonderful and it's glorious. And actually, it's so glorious that he sort of interrupts, as it were, his, his train of thought with this eruption of praise. That he stops right there. He hasn't even moved on to the physical yet, which is so much there. He, he, he talks about how God has knit us together in our conscience and in our inner being. He, he, he has put us together in these amazing ways. And before he even gets to the physical, which will be later, we read in, in verse 14, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. He hasn't even gotten to talk about the, the, the function of the brain or the way the muscles work, or the circulatory system, or, or any of those wonderful things. As amazing as, as the human body is, he's driven to praise just by the inner man. He's giving thanks to God for his creative work in the inner man. The, the aspects of, of, a, of a person that you can see in their action, you can hear in their words, but you can't see by looking at them with a microscope or anything else. Like their creativity or capacity for abstract thought. Particularly, not, not just abstract thought as in, in reasoning in, 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 in wonderful ways. If you think about what, what technology is capable of now, what man is capable of doing, where we send people into space and we bring them back and they don't die. We send them onto the, to the moon or, we, or, or we, they live in space for all this time and we keep them alive and, and do the wonders that we do. Or, or if you, you go smaller into, into surgeries that can be done and, and ways we understand the human body and all that kind of stuff, that's all because of abstract thought and, and conceptualizing. But it's not just that. It's so much more the, the, the moral and the spiritual reasoning where you see people make decisions of self-sacrifice for someone who might never know, someone who might never give them thanks, someone who doesn't deserve it, and yet people, for, for, for spiritual reasons, for their own moral reasons, will sacrifice of themselves for that person. That's glorious. It is wonderful. And it's not explained by instinct. And it's not explained by 
materialism alone. He says, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. The, the moral aspects of mankind, the, the immaterial aspects of mankind, and these things that we've been talking about are some of the greatest God-honoring facts, God-honoring truths, God-honoring realities that exist. Just talking about man's moral nature drives David to the point where he rejoices, where he, he praises God, he, 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 he's, he's he exclaims, wonderful are your works. And again, he hasn't even gotten to the physical aspect of us. It points to the glory of God. It shows what God is like, that man is the pinnacle. This aspect of man, not because man is a stronger animal, not because we are faster than all the animals, we're not, not because we're the biggest or, or, or anything like that. You know, we, we are really different because of our immaterial aspects. And it is by looking at humans, the pinnacle of creation, despite their fallenness, despite their sin, despite their rebellion, despite their self-worship, it's by looking at humans that we most clearly see the wonderful works of God and just how sublime and glorious they are. There, there, is, there is beauty in nature. There is beauty beyond description in nature. And it pales in comparison to the beauty of our immaterial being. And that's what David is driving at here. And he says, my soul knows it very well. Now, this is very difficult to translate in the Hebrew. And uh, my Hebrew is lousy. So, but some of your translations will, will translate that differently. It's... it's, it's it's difficult to understand, but the idea is that this is clear, that God, this is, this is plain and evident. My soul knows it very well. And the fact is, David, we all know it very well. Not just the people in this room, not just the people who go to church on a Sunday morning or the people who are Christians. In fact, Romans 19 tells us that we all know deep down that God is our Creator. Paul says in Romans 119, what, what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. The person who has never seen a Bible, never heard the name of Christ, the person who lives on the proverbial island and never met another person has seen who God is. Not in extensive detail, not in the way we learn in Scripture but knows that He exists, knows that He is the Creator because God has shown that to him. And, by the way, revealed to that person that that person is obligated to obey God. And we are all like that. And so, you know, today is Sanctity of Life Sunday and we, we think about our nation, we think about our world. Abortion didn't begin in our nation. And we think about our world and we think about how there is such a rampant willingness to end human life because it's unseen, because it, it's not visible. And we do so against our own consciences because we know that that life is precious. Not just we Christians, not just we who have a Bible, 
we humans know that we ought to protect the weak, that we ought to protect the innocent. It is a good thing when, when someone defends the innocent. We know that. Everybody recognizes that to one degree or another. And yet we, we, uh, we, we lie to ourselves as a, as, a, as a culture, as a people, and we, we dehumanize that baby so that it makes it okay. It's not really a vulnerable human. It's a clump of cells. Or it's a fetus, which always makes me grin a little bit because fetus is just Latin for baby. We think by calling it something in a different name, suddenly it's no longer human. It may be that some of us in here have been a party to this at one point or another. Maybe you yourself have gone to that extent of having an abortion or perhaps more. Or maybe, maybe you've just been on the outside encouraging someone else to do that, to go that route. If so, then you know the horrific guilt and shame that comes from that. And you may even have tried to hide that shame, deny that guilt that you feel, but it's there. It's there. And if that's you, you need to know two things. First of all, that, that guilt, that, that shame, that, the guilt that goes with that is not just a social pressure. It's actual guilt before holy God. It's not just something that some people have pushed on other people. And the second thing that you need to know right away is that we all have guilt before God. That we may not have done that exact thing. We may not have taken uh, those steps. We may not have gone to that extreme. But we all have guilt before God. And you need to hear what God did with His Son. That God sent His Son, His only Son, Jesus, into the world to be born as one of us, to redeem sinners like you and me, because we are in the same boat. That this Jesus came, that He avoided temptation, he resisted temptation. He always obeyed God fully from the heart in his intentions, in his desires, in his actions, in his thoughts, in his words. Always obeyed God. And then he gave himself to pay the penalty for sinners like you and like me who have accrued such debt, who have accrued such guilt before God. And he volunteered, though he was the righteous one, Though he was the only one who could have been exempted from this, he volunteered to go to the place of payment of penalty for your sin, including, if it's in there, murder, abortion. He paid the penalty for that and bore the wrath of God that was justly due to you and justly due to me because of my sin, poured it out in its entirety upon Jesus so that there is nothing left, no more wrath left for you if you have faith in Christ. 
He was put to death. On the third day, God raised him from the dead and took him back to be with himself in heaven where he came from. And he says that if you and I, no matter, no matter the blight of our sin, no matter the magnitude and the evil and the treachery of our sin, if we will look to Jesus Christ and trust him alone, we will find forgiveness of sins. We will find that blight taken away from us and put upon him. And we will find instead that we receive his righteousness where he obeyed. And by faith alone, we have acceptance with God. And so if you are here this morning and you have that weight upon you, you have that, that guilt, you, you don't need to walk out of here with it. Put it on Christ. Trust in Him. And you will find full and free forgiveness of sin, righteousness before God, peace with God, and you will be named God's own child. And you will be able to say with David, as he does in verse 14, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. So God made my non-physical parts. Verse 15, God made my physical parts. My frame, or bones, was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. Intricately woven in the depths of the earth. And I see a hand raised right there. I, I wasn't woven in the depths of the earth. But the depths of the earth are no more secret a place than the womb where God did his work. Creating us, knitting us together, forming, forming in, in tiny little tiny, tiny ways what would, what would become us. He made our physical parts and they are amazing. How fascinating the human body is. The way it heals itself always amazes me. You get a cut and you think, well, I broke that. I ruined that part. And God made it so the, the, the cut heals. Sometimes I wish it would heal faster, but I'm amazed it heals at all. My car doesn't heal itself. But my hand does. Our human body is just amazing. That was a story several years ago. An elite, world-class athlete was mountain biking with his wife. And he wiped out. And not even a terrible wipeout. But the handlebar hit him, hit him in the hip. Well, no big deal. That happened to me 50 times when I was a kid. I even did the wipeout, you know, where you go over the handlebars and you hit the ground so hard that your lip curls back and the dirt is digging into your... You know the one. I've done that 50 times too, right? Well, this guy does, just wipes out a little bit and the handlebar happens to catch him and hits him in the hip and it almost killed him. And this is a big, muscly dude. This is a world-class athlete because he had, he had ruptured various blood vessels and so blood was going down into the leg and not returning. It would not return. And he had, he had massive damage, but not, not that you could see. It just looked like a little... But then it swelled up big because of 
because of the way the blood wasn't returning. And of course, they rushed him. They brought in a helicopter and got him to the, to the hospital and, and did immediate surgery on him and stuff like that. Well, here's this big muscly dude, right? And he's got a big slice. I don't want to get too graphic about it. He had muscle visible on his leg because of the way they had done the surgery. They had to open up here. And so the skin had pulled away. And, you, and so they kept bringing in nurses and, and these medical professionals to look at this example. It's like an anatomy and physiology book. I get to look and see what the muscle looks like. Hey, would you move your leg a little bit? Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> because the human body is just amazing. And it was God who fashioned my physical parts. Not some blind chance, not just some, some reaction um, to, to, to environment or something like that. God did that. And He did it in amazing ways. And the more we learn about the human body, the more we learn how amazing it is. We thought it was amazing when we, you know, a hundred years ago with what we knew about it. And now we look and see it's even greater. God made my non-physical parts. God made my physical parts. Look at verse 16. Your eyes saw even, saw my unformed substance. Saw my unformed substance. Before before we could walk, God knew us. God doesn't just see things and not know. He knew us before we could walk, before we could, before we could sit up, before we could hold our head up, before we could breathe on our own. From the very beginning of what, what is us, from the moment of conception, He knew us. He saw our unformed substance. He knew us. We, we look at someone who maybe lives 120 years. We hear on the news that somebody in Turkey or, or somebody lives 120 years, 122 years, and we think that is incredible. And it's incredible. You think about living that long and what that person must have seen, and, and it's just massive. And it's a breath to God. A breath. Oh, 120 years? And yet God cares about that breath of 120 years. And God cares about that little tiny moment of time before you could walk. Hold your head up. Breathe on your own. He cares. He's, he's involved. He, his eyes saw our unformed substance. But then we go on and we see that God made our future. We continue in verse 16. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. So at that moment of conception, your life began, you became you. You don't remember that time. It doesn't look like, you know, you, would, you didn't look then like you look now. But God, God began that, and He knew you. And from that time, and really from all eternity, but from our perspective, what's important is, is from the beginning of us, God knew all of us. In fact, the Bible says he didn't just know as if he's standing here looking at what would happen in our future, like, like you know, watching a video in advance or something like that. Isaiah tells us, Isaiah 46, 10 says that he actually declared the future. He determined from this moment. He didn't just say, okay, here's potentiality, good luck with that. Nor did he say, okay, here's potentiality, and by the way, I have observed passively what's going to happen. 
He has a plan for you. He knows those days. He declared those days before there was ever one of them. He made our future. He formed our future before there was even a day of it. And this is, means we can take great comfort, doesn't it? Knowing uh, we don't know the future, but, but we know the one who holds the future, the one who declares the future. And it gives us comfort. Now, I'm going to end in a little bit unusual, uh, of an unusual way for me today. I'm, I'm, I've got a few implications here. And if you're trying to make room on your sheet, good luck to you. Um, I've got six, six implications and by the way, these, these would be fruitful. I could, you could preach a message, I could preach a message for a good solid hour, trust me, on each one of these, okay? So it's, this is a kernel of thought. This isn't, this isn't uh, a concluded thought that, that would fit on a bumper sticker and that you, can, uh, that you could you know, memorize or whatever. It's a kernel, it's an idea, it's something that you should take away and ponder because I don't know your circumstance. And I don't know the things that you face and I don't know what you have gone through or what you will go through. But this is food for thought from our passage today. <coughs> First of all, the fact that God fashioned each of us individually means that He knows us intimately. He knows about our circumstances. He knows about our hearts. He knows about our fears. He knows about us intimately. Number two, the fact that he was the one at work fashioning us in the dark and secret places of our mother's womb means that we can never hide from God. We can never hide from God. Look back at verse 7. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? How are you going to go somewhere to get away from the omnipresent God? And yet, how many times have you tried? Like you think of the one place. <laughs> you think of the one way that God can't see you or won't know, and I'm going to find that one place. No. You can never hide from God. Number three, the fact that we have been so fearfully and wonderfully made in body and soul should make it very clear to us that we owe our existence to the creative hand of God Almighty. That deserves mentioning. And that deserves praising Him for, acknowledging Him for. We owe our existence to God's mighty hand. We didn't make ourselves. Blind chance did not make you. No kind of blind process made you. God made you. Number four, the fact that God is the one who forms our material and immaterial parts, as well as ordaining our futures, means that He has absolute right of ownership and creatorship over us. He has every right and all authority to command our obedience. That's not like God overreaching, overstretching, deciding, well, I know they don't really owe me anything, but I'm still going to demand this of them. He created us. He knit us together. We owe Him everything. He has absolute right 
of ownership over us. Number five, the fact that God has written down all the days He has formed for you before even one has come to pass means that He has a purpose for your life. I don't know specifically what that purpose is. It's to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, as we talked about in Sunday school. Specifically, I don't know. And, by the way, you might, may not learn it. You know, you think when you're, uh, when you're in high school that you'll learn God's, you know, God's purpose for you, like when you go to college, maybe. And those of us who've been to college realize, well, the answer's not there. <laughs> and you think, well, when I get into the workforce, or when I get married, or when I become a parent, or when I... We don't always know. God's purpose for, and we never know the entirety of God's purpose for our lives, but He has one for you. Sixthly, the fact that God perfectly crafted and knew you in the past and perfectly crafts and knows your future means that He also perfectly knows and has crafted your present. He perfectly knows and has crafted your present. The circumstances you're going through, which may be horrific, I don't know. They may be glorious. Probably they're somewhere in between. Those circumstances come to you from the good and loving hand of our Creator God. Our Father designed those circumstances for you for this moment. It didn't just happen to you, and God's got to clean up the mess. He has perfectly known and crafted your present. And then our last point there, we've, uh, I've got applications, and implica- difference between implications and applications, um, they're obviously closely related, but, but uh, implications, I think, are something you could take away, and, and uh, there are six of them there, and it'll be... You can, you know, do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and you could be working through those and just contemplating those in your own life uh, this coming week. Uh, but there, there are kernels of thought there, but some, some direct points of application. First of all, take comfort that God knows you intimately. You may feel like a cog in the machine at, at work or in this world or in other places. You may feel like, well, I'm just, you know, this part number A, 3B, or whatever. That's, that's me, right? No, in, 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 God's, in God's mind, you are not just one of the billions of people living on this planet. In God's mind, you are the one He formed in your mother's womb, whose days He knew at that moment, whose life He fashioned, whose, whose conscience and inner man He wove together in our physical nature. Take comfort that God knows you intimately. Second point of application, submit to God's right to command your obedience. Sometimes that's hard. That's hard. (laughs) Not just sometimes, right? That we, we need to understand God in His authority, God in His position. Not, Not exclusive of the fact that He's our Father, but even if you think about your Father who loves you, your father who loved you, or if you're a father, you love your children, yet you have authority. And God's authority is infinitely greater than ours, and we are to submit to God's right to command our obedience. Thirdly, stop trying to hide from God. 
Stop trying to hide from God. There's nowhere you could go to get away anyway. He's there. And the reason many try to run away from God is usually uh, or often because of guilt or shame. They feel like what they have done or maybe what's been done to them puts them beyond the mercy of God. They really just want to get rid of Him. They really just want to go away from Him. They want, they want uh, not to be near Him, so they attempt to run away. First of all, you can't get away, but secondly, remember this about your guilt and your shame, about your iniquities. Jesus is the one who, for the joy that was set before Him, endured the cross, Himself despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God for you. Remember from Isaiah 53, it was the will of the Lord to crush Him He has put him to grief. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, Jesus, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. You who run away because you are unrighteous, you who run away because of your iniquity, when you look to Christ, your iniquity is placed on him, and what do you get in return? You're counted righteous. So, Stop trying to hide from God. Instead, run to Christ. Find forgiveness and find life and find peace with God. Fourthly, take courage and comfort that God has a purpose for your life. You may be looking at your situation and wondering, what is going on? Well, I don't know what's going on. But God has a purpose for your life. He knows what's going on. And take courage and comfort in that. Fifthly, don't believe for a second that the baby in the womb is anything less than the special creation of God whom he is in the process of knitting and weaving and forming for his own glory. And that baby, by the way, has the special capacity to be in relationship with God Almighty himself. That's a baby. Don't buy the press about a clump of cells don't buy the press about it being uh, something less. Just, just a fetus. If we learn some Latin today, this is important Latin. It's a baby. So when we look at David's reasoning here, we look at this psalm and, and, and we think back to what he's been talking about, we, we, we realize that God really did make you. God made that baby in the womb. God made your children, your parents. He made us. He made you. And you are fearfully and wonderfully made. In your physical body, for sure, it's, it's wondrous. And most especially in your inner being. And all these little ones we have uh, running around who will run up here uh, real quickly uh, after the service is over and, and they will talk about the sermon and, and the little ones running around and being carried in arms, um, they represent God's special creation, designed and fitted together to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That's what a baby is. And the same is true for that baby in the womb, for any baby in any womb. So today, today we celebrate how precious life is because of the way that God has created it. 
And today we celebrate the fact that though we are those special creations in, in, in a unique position and, and unique in, in all of creation, we recognize our own sin. We recognize our own rebellion against God. We recognize that we have so often not acknowledged His rightful authority over us. We have so often not walked in the ways He would have us. We have not worshipped uh, God alone. And He could have been done with us. And He would have been right to do so. But instead, He gave His Son to do the work of the Redeemer, to redeem sinners like you and like me. And so on this day where uh, I'm with Chris, I, I rejoice in the... the uh, end of Roe v. Wade, it, it, uh, the decision was made in the year I was born, and so I, uh, I, I think about that quite often. I re- rejoice in the fact that we've moved kind of beyond that, but, but, but we are still in a world where, where people will seek and desire to end this baby's life. And, 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 and may God have mercy on our souls, and may we, as those who have been redeemed, take that message of redemption to those very people that there is forgiveness and peace and life and redemption in Christ. Let's pray. Father, as we have uh, thought about the sanctity of your life, the beauty of life, we've thought about not just the facts of our hearts beating and and how wonderful uh, the baby growing in the womb is, and, and uh, those things are wonderful and glorious. Uh, yet the, the entire package, the fact that you have made us to know you, is beyond my ability to put into words. Thank you for life. Thank you that you have created us. And thank you for new life that is ours in Christ. Father, we do pray that that, uh, abortion would come to an end in our nation. Pray that that, uh, couples would choose uh, a different route, that you would save babies, that you would bless us, that you would help us as we seek to uh, honor you with our families, including our, our children. And we rejoice and pray that you would help us in taking the the message of the gospel to our world, that we just uh, would not just sit in judgment, uh, shaking a finger at those things those people do, but that we would bring the saving message of the gospel to those very people and really to all around us as we all stand guilty on our own before you. Thank you for Jesus, who died for my sin, who lived in my place, that by faith in him, I have life with you and peace with you forever, forgiveness of sins. Father, I pray that you would make us agents of that mercy. Bless us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. God bless you all. You are dismissed.